Well, Merry Christmas. And welcome to our Christmas Eve service. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of what God's doing at Southbridge Fellowship. And uh, I want to thank you. If you've never been to a Southbridge event before, welcome as a guest. And I want to say a special thank you to Joe and Sarah Call. I know he was up here on the front row and slid out. But uh, thank you for opening up your building. They actually own this building, the worship center, and they do different ministries here. Um, at different days of the week, and tonight they allow us to be here as Southbridge, and for those of you who don't know Southbridge, uh, we're a church that meets at the Briar Creek Movie Theater every Sunday at 9 and at 10.30 a.m., and we'd love to have you any week, anytime you're able to come, we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Tonight's a pretty anticipated night, isn't it? Especially if you think about kids, how much kids anticipate Christmas, and I know some of you as parents that have kids with you right now, you're just stressed like, he's up there now, can you please be quiet? But I want to give the kids one moment to make some noise. I'm going to ask the question in a minute, kids. And if you're excited about Christmas, I want to hear it. So I'm going to ask you, if you're excited about Christmas, when I do, and I'm done, you make whatever noise you feel like making at that moment to express your excitement. And so kids, are you excited about Christmas? All right. So Officer Reeves up here yelling too. He's pretty excited. The kids here. Sometimes as adults, it's hard to remember how exciting Christmas is and all the anticipation that comes. I know there are a few adults, our shepherding pastor, our worship pastor, the 364 days of the year, they're waiting for this moment. But this is a great time of anticipation. So adults, I just want to ask you, what's the event in your life that you've anticipated most in your life? Try to remember what that was like, bedtime for one, who has a couple kids up here in the front row. Some of you, maybe, maybe you remember uh, getting engaged and you're about to get married and there's a lot of anticipation with the wedding, isn't there? And you find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, they put that ring on a finger, and then you got to plan for the wedding. It's anticipation. You find out you're pregnant, there's a lot of anticipation with that, isn't there? Nine months of planning. What are you going to name that person? Are you going to find out their gender ahead of time? Are you going to put things together like cribs and all that stuff? And then you start to dream about what their life could be. And that's anticipation. There's always a wait before anticipation. You plan a vacation, you start to think about a big trip, there's anticipation with that, isn't there? Start to think about where you're going to stay, what you're going to do, what memories are going to be made. There's anticipation. There's been a lot of anticipation in our house this Christmas season. We've got four little girls, for those of you who don't know, they're all eight and under, so there are a lot of emotions at our house all the time. But with Christmas, there's a special anticipation and excitement. And we're kind of between stages right now with a couple of our kids. They're not babies anymore, they're not little kids, but they're not big kids either. And we used to be in that stage where you could spell stuff and they wouldn't know what you were talking about. I guess some of you are in the spelling stage. Like I'd say to my wife, did you get the D-O-L-L? She'd say yes, and then the kids wouldn't have a clue what was going on. It was awesome. Well, they've gotten past that stage, some of them, so we can't spell in front of them. And they were at a stage where I thought that I could take them with me and they could keep a secret. And I was going to take them shopping for mom's present. And we went shopping for what is not a secret at our house any longer, but I took some of the older girls with me. We went shopping for a purse. That's what we were shopping for, for my wife. And we went to different stores. We were looking at purses. We're going through different racks, different places, looking for one specific purse. We get back to the house. My wife has dinner on the table. The little kids are there. We sit down. We pray for the meal. And then one of my daughters looks at me and says, Dad, don't tell Mom about the PRS. I was like, what is the PRS? Then I look over, my wife's laughing in her napkin. I realize she's trying to say purse. And I look at my daughter and I say, honey, your mom knows how to spell. And that's not it, by the way. And she wanted me to emphasize. There was a purse she was trying to spell there when I asked her if I could share this story. There's so much anticipation in her little body, it's like she couldn't handle it. The Christmas anticipation, not only that, now she's got insider information. And she just bursts. She couldn't hold it anymore. 
Now think about all those moments of anticipation and excitement that we've talked about. Wrap them into one event. That's the Christmas story. You've got a major trip that's being planned as they go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. You've got a birth that's about to take place. Oh, by the way, they were going to be married at that wedding. And then the excitement of an anticipated gift they've been waiting for for thousands of years in Jesus Christ. And so tonight we're talking about a great anticipation, but I have one challenge for you. It's just one simple challenge. Don't miss your moment. Don't miss the moment that God has for you tonight. Don't miss the moment that God has for you this Christmas because in the midst of a lot of anticipation and excitement, sometimes it's easy to miss what's actually happening. I think back to my wedding day, one of the biggest days of my life, and a lot of it's a blur. Don't miss what God has for you. And all the anticipation and all the things that will happen tonight, tomorrow, and all the days ahead, don't miss your moment. And that's what I want to challenge you with as we look at a familiar Christmas passage and look at some very unfamiliar characters in this story. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. If you don't, it'll be on the screen here in just a moment. But in Matthew chapter 2, it's the story of some magi or some wise men, uh, depending on what it is, what translation it is that you're looking at. But they're guys who study the stars. And the context for this passage is really Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. And if you were at church on Sunday at Southbridge, Luke chapter 2, where Jesus has already been born. In fact, this happens about two years after the birth of Jesus. Jesus had been born, uh, the shepherds out in the field, they got the announcement from the angel, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's what the kids were talking about in the story a minute ago. You hear Linus read it, you know, different folks you've heard read that passage before, but don't miss that this is for all people. Because some of you will come here tonight and you don't think this stuff's for you. In fact, some of you probably invited your friends to come and they said, no, that's, that's not for me, I'm, I'm too far gone, I'm too bad. That's not for me. Let me tell you, this is for you. It's for all people. It's for every kind of person, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, it's for you. You can't be too bad. In fact, if you think you're too bad, this is probably exactly for you. And it's good news. It's the good news that God wrapped himself in flesh, remained God, but became man, came to this earth so you could be reconciled to him. He would die on a cross and rise again because he loves you. Like I had a friend who came to me uh, this year. He's a friend now. I didn't really know him at the time. He'd attended our church and knew me as the guy who stood up in front and talked. And so I'm like a professional religious guy to him. And uh, he wanted to meet with me to tell me all the horrible stuff he had done. And by anybody in this room's standards, he had done some horrible things. And he thought that if he told me all the horrible stuff he did, that I would tell him that God's done with you. And he sat there, and we, when we first started meeting, I said, you know what, you're special. And the reason why I told him he was special, I said, is because God loves you. He said, well, I'm not special. I said, well, if the creator of the universe loves you, then I think you're pretty special. And here's a, something I want you all to know. God never made any person he didn't love. And so God loves you, and this good news is for you. But don't miss it. Don't miss the moment that God has for you. Like the guys in our text miss their moment. After Jesus was born, so about two years later, we read in Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Verse 2, and ask, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star. And so there's these guys who study stars. They saw his star in the east, and they've come to worship him. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests, these are the people I want you to focus on. We oftentimes read past these guys. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born, this anticipated king, the real king of the Jews easy answer for them. They say, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. 
And then they quote a prophecy in verse 6 that's over 700 years old. It's from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Speaking of Jesus. And so why did he call those guys? These guys that in the passage are called teachers of the law, chief priests, is because they knew the Bible so well. These were the experts in the Bible, the experts in the Scriptures. They dedicated their lives to studying the Scriptures, and everything that built up the anticipation of this moment had come from the Scriptures. Because you go back to Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, the very beginning, there's a problem that takes place. The first man, Adam, falls. That means he sins. He sins against God. He does what you and I have all done. He decides he doesn't believe God's promises. He decides he's going to find satisfaction apart from God. He's going to go after the creation rather than the one who created all these things. The same as we try to fill voids in our lives with other things. And at that moment, he was cut off from God. He was separated from God. But in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, then God promises, now that you have sinned, you need a Savior. I'm going to send a Savior. And from that point on, people have been anticipating the birth of a Savior. And what the Scriptures show us from Genesis on is just wait, just wait, just wait up until this moment. And isn't waiting like the worst part of all anticipation? That's a, I hate to wait. I don't know if you waited. Maybe you did all your shopping online this Christmas so you didn't have to wait anywhere, but if you want to learn about humanity, just go wait somewhere. Go to Walmart tonight, okay, right after the service, or on Black Friday, or go to Macy's, or go to Harris, even go to Harris, go to Harris Theater and stand in like the express lane behind somebody who has one more item than the express lane should have and see how you feel inside. I was on hold, I was on, hold on the phone the other day. They told me, your wait time is estimated to be four minutes. 35 minutes later, a young lady got on the phone. She said, hey, Mr. Lear, how can I help you? I said, I've been on hold for 35 minutes. She says, well, what can I do for you? And I wanted to say, give me my 35 minutes back. I hate waiting. You know, there are some people that wait to open their Christmas presents on Christmas Day in the morning. Some of you may be here. There are other people who don't wait. You know the ones who don't wait are the ones who had to wait when they were kids. That's why they did that. So no one likes to wait. But every book of the Bible from Genesis until the New Testament is crying out that we're waiting for a Savior. Psalm 6, verse 3 says this, we'll put it up on the screen, my soul is in anguish. How long, O oh Lord, how long? We're waiting for you to send the answer to the questions that are in our hearts. Because these were real people in this passage of scripture. They had the same questions you and I have. Why am I here? How long, God, before you answer that question? When will this void in my life go away? How long, God, before you send the thing that's going to fill the void? Is it the next purchase? Is it the next experience? Is it the next whatever it is we go after? God, why am I here? Where am, what's going to happen when I die? That's what people are crying out in Scripture. That's been the anticipation. We're waiting for this moment, and then God answers the moment. He sends his son, Jesus. And the way that he leads these wise men, these magi to Jesus, verses 1 and 2, is he uses a star. And these wise men are guys who study astrology. There's people who study stars and this should be a great encouragement to those of you who already know Jesus as your Savior. Is that God's so personal that he'd use a star to lead guys who study stars to himself? And I want you just to reflect on your own story, your own life. What did God use to lead you to Jesus? Because he uses different things for different people. Some of you study science. He used science to bring you to Christ. Isn't that just like God? And some people would use to disprove him that he uses that very thing to show and reveal himself. Some of you are in technology, and he uses the technology, the creativity, and he shows you not just the creation, but the creator. Some of you are extroverts, and so he used other people to bring you to Christ. Some of you are introverts, and he used those questions that you ask yourself when you lie in bed and look at the ceiling. 
And God so personally knows just the way. So what did he use to bring you to Christ? What did he use to bring you to know his son, Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus? And here he uses a star to bring these guys who study stars to himself. And, and then they go searching. And they traveled perhaps for two years from the east. We don't know exactly where they came from. There's not much we do know about these men, actually, other than what the passage tells us. Oftentimes you hear legends, legends like there were three of them. Most of you read the passage with me and you assume there are three. The Bible didn't say there were three. There might have been ten. These ten kings from, we don't know. There were enough guys there that it caused a disturbance when they came into town with their different outfits on, with their funny accents, and people are going, these guys aren't from around here. And they're talking about our king, the king of the Jews. They're in Jerusalem, the capital city. And it causes an uproar and there's chaos. People are upset. They go to the king, King Herod, who's not rightfully the king of the Jews. He's not even fully Jewish. So he's got some insecurities. And here's about a baby who's the real king, and he wants to get rid of him. Problem for the king is he doesn't know his Bible. And so he calls in some guys that are the guys we talk about tonight. Teachers of the law and chief priests. These are guys who spend their whole lives studying the Bible. Here's the problem we often make with this passage. These guys are like the extras that pop on for a church play. They're just pawns to get us to the next movement in the play. They don't really matter to us. But let's not forget, these aren't two-dimensional characters. These are real people. These guys, they committed their whole lives to studying the scriptures. These guys are the experts in the scriptures. And they leave this, they go home to real families. They've got spouses, and they've got jobs, and they've got friends, and they've got coworkers, and all those things. And you see what they do in the passage? They answer the question, where is he to be born? Oh, that's easy, Bethlehem. Known that one, that, people have known that for 700 years. That's a tougher question, King Herod. The king called you in. Let me tell you something. This was their moment. They've been studying the Bible their whole lives. They're brought in by the king, not by anybody, by the king. The king says, where is the Christ to be born? The one you've been anticipating, that people have been anticipating for thousands of years. They go, oh, I know the answer. Bethlehem. And then they go get on a horse carriage ride, have some eggnog, hang out with their family. We don't know what they do. We know what they don't do. They don't go look for Jesus. According to the scriptures, they do nothing. So they know the information. They know the verses. They know the answer. They don't know the Savior. These guys missed the moment. You ever missed a significant moment? Ever oversleep in the morning and you wake up and you, and you go, whoa, I missed an appointment. I missed. Some of you have seen the movie Home Alone. Uh, some of you watched that during Christmas. This is one of your favorite. You got hands going up. All right, Home Alone over there. If you haven't seen the movie, you got more hands going up. They're going, I see that hand. I'm a pastor. I got it. You got people that have seen Home Alone. You know what happens is, on the first one, Macaulay Culkin gets left at Home Alone and uh, his, he wishes that his family would disappear. And they're planning this big trip. They're going to go to Paris, I think it was, and the craziness is happening at their house. The next morning comes. I mean, they've planned out logistics, plane tickets, drivers are coming to pick them up, all kinds of stuff. They don't wake up for their alarm. And there's a classic scene where the mom and dad both hop out of bed and they look at each other and they go, We overslept! It's a terrible moment. And then what ends up happening is they miss their son because of that. Can you imagine missing a wedding, missing the birth of a child, missing a trip? This is bigger than all that. And what happens for many of us is the chaos or the emotions or the different things in Christmas, and we miss the Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Don't miss your moment. God has you here for a reason at this very moment hearing these words. And what we see throughout Scripture is people getting close to Jesus continually, and they continually miss him. The evangelist John, in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1 says this, he came to that which was his own, he's talking about people, 
but his own did not receive him. In John chapter 3, do you know what happens in John chapter 3? The teacher of Israel comes to talk to Jesus about basic questions. He doesn't get it. John chapter 5, Jesus' own words, he says this to Jews. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Talking to people who know the Bible. So these are the scriptures that testify about me. It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. This is verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. See, what, what we're talking about tonight is not just a cute story about God wrapping himself in the flesh and coming and being a cute little baby. This is the most intense love story that's ever been told. Because God loved you. And he loved you enough that he would come and leave a place where there was no sin and there was no crying and there's no pain and there's no cancer and he'd come to this place. And he'd come to this place and not just be born a cute little baby but grow up, live a life that you and I could never live, a sinless life, and die the death that we all deserve to die, a death on a cross. And so what happens is in the meantime of him being born to going to the cross is people go from thinking he's cute to wanting to kill him, murder him, because he confronts their sin. And we don't like that. And so they hang him on a cross, he dies, he raises again, and he offers us life. There are all kinds of things that are told to us about who this Jesus was, a moral teacher, an example, all these good, he's a good man. Those are not options according to Jesus. And he tells us the reason why he came was not to be an example, he came to give you a gift and it's life. John chapter 10 says the thief comes, the world system that tells us all kinds of things about God. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came, Jesus came, to give you life. And to give you life, to fulfill your life, to give you life to the fullest. John chapter 14 and verse 6 says, I am the way. It's Jesus speaking. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets to God. No one has this life except for through me. There are all kinds of lies out there about other things. But Jesus says this is the way. And God offers us a gift. Because we've all done what Adam did. At the very beginning, we've sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. Tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, for the wages of sin, what you deserve because of the life you live, is separation from God, death. But the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. What do you have to do if I offer you a gift? If I give you a gift, if I, I've got a box up here, if I come to you and I say, hey, I, I got you a gift tonight, what do you what do, you do Jim? You've got to take the gift, right? The only way you receive the gift is you take the gift. There you go. He caught it, so he gets the gift. It's an empty box. But that's for me. And what God's doing is he's offering you a gift. And the gift is his son, Jesus Christ. Don't miss your moment. And here's the best part. Not only does he tell us he's offering us a gift, he tells us how to receive it. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a promise from God. He tells us why in verse 10. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And so I want to ask you the most important question that anyone could ever ask you right now. Are you ready to receive the gift that God's offering you tonight? Don't miss your moment. The answer in your heart. Are you ready to receive what God's offering you tonight? The gift that he's extending to you in his son, Jesus Christ. Don't miss this moment. And I want to give you an opportunity to do just that. I ask all of us to bow our heads and close our eyes. Everybody that's here, whether you're a guest, young, old, whoever you are, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, God's offering you a gift, and I'm just going to ask you that question one more time. Do you want to receive the gift that God's offering you tonight? And if you answer yes, like someone just answered yes, if you answer yes, 
Then I'm just going to repeat to you what I just told you, that you're separated from God because of your sin, but he's offering you this gift. It's his son, Jesus. Here's how you receive it. Acknowledge your sin before him. Believe in your heart that God rose from the dead. He wasn't just born in a stable and laid in a manger, but he died on a cross and he rose again. If you believe that's true, then confess Jesus to be your Savior. If you want to receive that gift tonight, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me in just a moment. Before I do that, let me tell you what I'm going to pray. I'm not going to trick you into praying something you don't want to pray. Let me tell you what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray this. God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins to save me. I want to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. So if you want to receive the gift that God's offering you tonight, then will you pray this prayer with me right now? You can pray it silently as you sit in your seat. You can pray it out loud if you'd like to. But just with your head bowed, your eyes closed, everybody in here, I'm going to pray these words. If you want to trust Jesus as your Savior, will you pray this with me? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I confess my sin to you. And you can just pray that in your heart right now. I believe your son Jesus came. And he died. And he rose again. And I want Jesus to be my Lord. And if you want to ask Jesus to be your Savior, just pray right now. Tonight, I ask Jesus to be my Savior. And just me talking to you right now, not talking to the Lord, but you can continue to pray with your heads bowed and eyes closed still, everybody, except for the band. The band's up here and a couple ushers. Everybody else having your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer with me, would you raise your hand and acknowledge that that's true? Just pop your hand up in the air. I see people raising their hands. Go ahead and pop it up keep it up. In the back, if you would. I can see back to the back. And then those of you in the front. You just pop your hand up and keep it up. It's like you're telling God, I just prayed that prayer. And uh, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. Thank you for raising your hand. And if you're a parent and you look at your little, you can peek over at your little kids and things like that. And there are adults that are raising their hands. And, and I'll just ask, if, if you did pray that prayer, if you wouldn't mind, you don't have to do this. I'm not going to make you do this. But we'd love to continue to pray for you. I was praying for you today that you'd make that decision. I'd love to pray for you more. We had other people that would love to pray for you. There's a little card that's in your worship program. You can go ahead and put your hands down now, but if you raised your hand, there's a card that's in your worship program. Before you leave tonight, would you fill that out? There was a pen there. You can keep the pen. It's a gift from us. And as you leave, you can either leave it on your seat, but I know a lot of people don't feel comfortable with that. You don't want to leave your information out. There are offering boxes on your way out that people will be putting uh, their tithes and end-of-the-year offerings in, in the boxes, too. If you just drop that card in there. And some of the rest of you are, are guests here. Maybe you didn't trust Jesus as your Savior, but... You're interested in being invited to another Southbridge event, or you've got questions you want to talk to somebody. We've got multiple pastors on our staff who would love to talk with you. If you want to fill that card out too, you can fill it out and drop it in the box. But those of you who trusted Christ, would you mark on there that tonight I asked Jesus to be my Savior? And we rejoice with you. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices over making that decision. That's the most significant decision that anyone could ever make in their lives. And so I want you to know that we're excited for you, happy for you. There were hands that were raised all over. Let me finish our prayer together as believers and all the new believers, people that have just come into the kingdom. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus. That you gave a gift that we would never imagine receiving or giving, that you gave your only son for us. Thank you for loving us beyond what we could ever ask, beyond what we could imagine. Thank you for dying for us. And God, there'll be a lot of fun, a lot of family things that'll happen over the next couple of days. Don't let us miss you. Thank you for being so personal. Thank you for wanting a relationship with us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for breaking bondages. Thank you for giving us hope and a future. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.